Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 75 with Jonathan Reidenauer, who is a prolific tutor on the Wiseant platform and elsewhere, uh, tutoring in a whole bunch of different things, but has thousands of hours under his belt, uh, rave reviews, students all over the country, all over the world, and just has really great perspective on the work that he does with students to help them with uh, things like writing and uh, different mathematical concepts and test prep. Uh, so uh, just kind of stumbled across him uh, and uh, very grateful to have done so uh, on Twitter. I uh, saw him kind of just sharing out his goals for the year and uh, podcasting kind of factoring into those and just uh, caught my eye uh, with him tutoring through Wiseant, a platform that I've had some experience uh, utilizing as a resource for students, which is just a great platform and uh, on its own. But I uh, just really was excited to hear uh, Jonathan's story and just more of uh, what's grabbing his attention. So a lot of good stuff to check out down in the show notes. So uh, please do check all that out and connect with uh, Jonathan as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, really appreciate him taking out the time. Appreciate you listening to this episode number 75 with Jonathan Reidenauer. And yeah, this is the first guest recording of 2020. So excited to kick off uh, the year here, uh, exploring something that um, definitely is a different facet of higher education than what I've gone into before. Um, but Jonathan, if you want to kick us off and introduce yourself and kind of give a uh, overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. My name is Jonathan Reidenauer, and I'm 47 years old. I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, attended Susquehanna Township High School. And I'd say that probably initially, the first thing I wanted to be was a journalist, especially my junior year of high school. I was really into journalism, uh, wrote for the school newspaper, wrote for the uh, yearbook. And I know that I was interested in journalism. My dad kind of talked me out of it. Not that he did, didn't want me to be a journalist, but he's a very practical man, still is. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of said, well, you might have to spend years working jobs that are low paying. And I was kind of like, I don't know, maybe I don't want to do that. Uh, early in my senior year, I kind of thought I wanted to be a lawyer, wasn't sure. But then second half of my senior year, a lot of my fellow students started having problems with calculus. And I, was, I loved calculus, still do. And so I was able to help them. And a lot of them said, oh, you're really good at explaining this. And I kind of thought, hmm, maybe that's something. So when I went to college, I uh, was into math education and also mathematics. Um, I ended up graduating with a Bachelor of Science in Math. And initially, I started teaching at a school out of, out of undergrad. Uh, and this is about uh, 22 years ago. And I I uh, wasn't mature enough to handle things, you know, I'll, I'll put it at that. I, I, a lot of the, uh, you know, 24 years old, I'm still, you know, not exactly a fully developed adult. I uh, was doing some of the same dumb stuff that I did when I was in high school, and uh, I, I, I couldn't uh, really keep down a job in, in the education field. Drifted for a number of years, uh, working mostly in restaurants. I'd worked in restaurants before, and for a long time I worked uh, pretty much in, in restaurants, Around 2003, kind of came to a, you know, age 31 crisis where I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What's what's the direction I'm taking? So I boiled it down to two choices. I thought, okay, how about I'm either going to go into law school and become a lawyer or I'm going to uh, go to graduate school for education. Talked to, investigated both of those angles there. Didn't really have much money. My dad, I didn't even ask him. He offered to uh, lend me some money so that I can help you out pay, paying for this stuff. You know, he'd let me know it, it would be a loan. I'd have to pay him back. Uh, after seeing the price of law school, I didn't feel like slapping him with that or me having to pay that off. Right. <laughs> so I went to, I went to, uh, decided to go to graduate school. Eventually I settled on Liberty university online and mainly because of the convenience. I mean, I, I didn't want to be driving to a location, have to stay somewhere or something. And, and, it was in its infancy back then, online education in general. But uh, over a number of years, I worked toward that master's of uh, education degree in secondary ed. And uh, 2011, got my uh, degree after I had done student teaching at a local school here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Finished up my degree and kind of went on a, a, a journey of several years where it was a lot of kind of uh, – a lot of substitute teaching interspersed with some full-time work uh, with a certain organization in New York, Pennsylvania. Uh, worked 
for one full year at an alternative school. And then later I was called back to the school when they needed some help and kind of back and forth, just bouncing back and forth there with those things. Uh, substitute taught probably in 20 to 30 schools. Uh, I started getting into tutoring a little in 20, especially in 2014, but at that time it was still sort of a side thing. But then in the summer of 2015 mm-hmm. was when Wiseant launched their online tutoring platform. And in these, in the fall of that year, all of a sudden I started getting all these online students. And by the end of October, I'm just looking at my income and I'm just saying, okay, I'm making, I mean, I wasn't raking in tons of money, but I'm saying I was making more tutoring than I would as a full-time regular teacher at a school. And I kind of thought, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I talked about it and I said, you know, I, I like doing this. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm going to go all in on this. I, I'm I'm going to you know put aside my other thoughts and plans that that I had about you know applying at certain schools and trying to go for uh, a, a teaching job. I said I'm going to go all in on uh, be, being a full time tutor. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing since the spring of 2015. So this is the fifth school year now that I've been working as uh, as a full time tutor. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I guess. Cause like the one thing that like sticks out are just like those interesting crossroad points for like, if you're having that realization, like you're saying of like, wow, I'm making as much tutoring as I could be teaching kind of thing. And like, if like any of the substitute stuff or anything that you're doing was almost like getting in the way of tutoring, like it just being that sort of like, you know, just sort of tipping yes. point. Um, and just having to kind of, kind of embrace that moment versus like pushing back against it. But, uh, well, I guess, you know, I think you um, predominantly do tutoring in, you know, sort of mathematical uh, related things um, and sort of noting that that was a little bit of part of kind of your origin story of like, you know, you just seem to kind of have a knack for, you know, explaining these in a way for people who are just having a little bit of trouble understanding them. So anything, I guess, just for your own kind of education journey, whether it's in undergrad or master's or just anything maybe that you feel like, you know, from your kind of, you know, college experience and sort of upbringing, like, you know, like it still kind of resonates with you personally, professionally, you know, like it still comes up when you're doing, uh, you know, tutoring sessions and stuff like that. So anything else that comes to mind that way of kind of part of your origin story that you feel like kind of keeps coming up for you, keeps being useful. My, uh, my kind of my three main specialties right now as a, as a tutor are math, but also test preparation, like the SAT, the ACT, others, the ASVAB, GRE, GED. And also I do some writing tutoring, uh, I've always been a uh, bit of a you know grammar nerd, <laughs> and in uh, I attribute that kind of to a really good well two things really good high school education in grammar. Uh, as time has gone by, and I understand why it's happened, but as time has gone by, grammar has not been taught as much in high schools anymore. It's more like once you get past ninth grade, you don't get as much instruction in in just grammar in the language arts classes. I graduated high school in 1990. Right. I, I got a lot of that uh, from my teachers, plus my my mother was a, a well, she was a teacher, like a kindergarten teacher years ago, but she was always very a proper English person. So uh, that's something that kind of I've even expanded on and, and studied on and, and learned more about. And so that's always helped me in, in dealing with, you know, help, helping students with writing there. I was always a good technical writer in, 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 in graduate school as well. So that, that, that was always uh, helpful. As far as undergrad school i mean the most important thing i remember is i i got some good math instruction for people i i think of uh two professors in general who really uh i i felt made it interesting and relevant and that was one of the things that i always wanted to make sure in the future because too many people uh and i understand why they get this idea that oh math is boring or i can't do it and the thing is most of the time they just haven't had it explained uh-huh. to them very well and or it's been something that uh, a teacher may ha- understand it enough to explain it, but doesn't have necessarily the personality or whatever to to make it interesting. So I wanted that's something I, I always wanted to, to carry over from the, from from those two uh, professors there. Graduate school, um, I often joke that from a, in terms of education, I, I, I didn't really find graduate school all that helpful for the most part. Uh, I found out that I learned more in student teaching than I learned probably in all of my grad school classes. 
And then once I once I did a full year of actual teaching, I'm like, whoa, this oh. is this is this is intense. I, I would say there were two things though. One, there was one really good class in the in the graduate school about math instruction, about how to teach math. And I distinctly remember it because the textbook was not written like any textbook I'd ever seen written. It was written in a more casual tone, a more practical tone. It didn't have that stilted language that's often filled, textbooks are filled with. And it was readable. And I got a lot of good practical tips on that. That was that was extremely helpful there. And then just getting some background knowledge. I know I, uh, I took a course on education, history, and philosophy. And uh, I'm not sure if I have used that in, in terms of directly. However, just the background, the understanding gives you a, a deeper under, a deeper knowledge of, of of the path that education has, has has taken in the United States, and and even just in my own lifetime, like I can see these trends developing, and having that that knowledge of of what occurred in the past, it, it helps you understand better how those trends got to be uh, got to be where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, always appreciate yeah, just like yeah, having that like contextual understanding of like. Our current moment, I feel like, is is always uh, so helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, just like for a professional program, like a master's of education focused on you know teaching and everything, just really having that practical component of it, you know, is just so important to apply everything that you're learning, um, you know, through all your courses and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, and obviously, yeah, all this kind of coalesced to the current moment where um, I feel like I've seen. Uh, you share some like impressive uh, metrics in terms of the amount of tutoring that you're doing and everything and just really kind of, you know, engaging with that really deeply. So, I mean, what really is like, you know, what do you enjoy most about your current work? What keeps you going, keeps you motivated? Cause I, know, I feel like there's probably a lot to it just in terms of, yeah, like the online tutoring side of it. I feel like you, if, you do also in-person tutoring and just tutoring on all those different subjects and everything, but like, what's, what do you enjoy most about this work that you're doing now? Good, a good element of it is the flexibility. And I know that one of the things when my wife and I talked about whether I should, you know, really go full on into trying to be a tutor was I liked the idea that uh, I was in control of of my schedule. Now, you have to be careful, though, because sometimes you can I I, I, sometimes I can load the schedule up a little too heavy. Uh, That happened a couple summers ago where I thought, oh, well, I just want to, you know, take on every everything that I can. And and then it started getting a little a a bit too busy. And there were some times that I didn't have much, (laughs) much, much free time or much time for her at all. But I I definitely definitely like the flexibility. I like the fact that I don't have to go to some central location every day for eight or nine hours or whatever, uh, that I can go tutor somewhere for an hour, you know, drive to another location, you know, tutor them, maybe come home, you know, a couple hours of free time, then, in, then, you know, in the evening have some online sessions or whatever. Uh, I also like the fact that there's only one layer of accountability, uh, meaning as long as I am explaining things properly and the student is learning, then everyone's happy. I've done my, I, I'm doing my job correctly. Something that is always, I shouldn't say always, but has on occasion frustrated me in the field of education, but also when I worked in restaurants, was the whole idea of there being these layers of accountability there. Uh, I remember distinctly one school I worked at, I basically had three bosses that kind of covered different things. And so you're always wondering, am I doing things right? And I always knew that I had an ability to explain math. You know, I always knew I had a gift to teach math. Of course, in about classroom teaching, there's a lot more that goes into classroom teaching than just knowing how to explain a topic. So, yeah, I needed help learning those other areas there, understanding things like classroom management and stuff like that. But I always knew how to explain, uh, you know, math or explain topics. So it would always you know, get me a little frustrated when I had an administrator or anybody else who were like, oh, I don't think you're quite teaching that the right way. I mean, I'll listen to someone's input. Certainly. I, I, it's not like I dismiss and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll, I'll listen to their input. But just because that input's been given doesn't necessarily mean it's better than what I've already been doing. I've taken tips from veteran teachers before experienced people and said, you know what, that's a good idea. I'm going to incorporate that. I'm never going to turn mm-hmm. down a, a, a good idea. But just because someone says, I think you need to change doesn't mean I do need to change. And so that's in tutoring. That's fantastic because I can explain it 
And then all I'm doing is looking to see, does the student understand? If the student doesn't understand, maybe I haven't explained it well enough. I need to change the way that I explain it there. But when the student says, you know, that, and I, it tells me that he or she is understanding, the parents are saying, hey, you're doing a great job. I get feedback. You know, someone puts a, a feedback post on my WiseAnt page, or sometimes they'll do that on my, on my Facebook tutoring page. Uh, you know, it tells me, okay. Right there, I've got recognition. I did, I, I did the right thing. And then it's always probably the greatest thing is when someone contacts me, you know, emails me or, or calls me and says, "Hey, so and so gave me your name. Said you're a great tutor. Fantastic. Oh. That's that tells me I'm doing, I'm doing my job. I don't have to, I don't have to think that there's this that that maybe I am doing my job, but then I get some sort of evaluation that tells me, uh, oh well, here's 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 some things that you're you're, you're not doing correctly. I'm not a perfect tutor. I, I, I continue to try to grow and develop and things like that. I know that I understand how to teach. And this is great because I get the direct accountability from the student. The other thing I'd say is the interaction. Uh, I am somewhat of a social person. I'm not a socialite. I'm not, I'm kind of a, a mix of an introvert and an extrovert, but um, uh-huh. I am I am the kind of person that enjoys the social interaction of teaching. I always felt that one of my biggest strengths when I when I taught school was being able to build those relationships with the students and build the rapport with the class in general. Uh, and one of the probably the foundation of that was to treat them as uh, human beings whose whose opinions and and ideas are valued not as necessarily as children. And obviously they are children, but, I, but, but I'm saying, you know, if a student, uh, for example, one time when I was substitute teaching toward the end of a school year, uh, a student, it was a class where the students really didn't have much to do. And so some of it, we were just talking. And this one girl who had known me for a couple of years from substitute teaching, she just says to me, Mr. Ridenauer, are, are you a feminist? And I said, well, what do you think a feminist is? And then it got us talking about what her ideas were, what her thoughts were, what her angles were, uh, and kind of got it got into a, a broader discussion there. But you know, I wanted to hear what what she had to say there. And so students students pick up on that in that regard. As a, as uh-huh. a tutor, I want to get their knowledge of how they view the class, how they view math in general. I want them to be completely open with me, not put up some false front. Uh, you know, one of the things when I meet with a first student, when I meet a student with a student for the first time is I'll ask them, you know, give me your impression of math. What's 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 your experience in, in math? How do you feel in math class? Uh, are your questions being answered? You know, stuff like that. And that way you build that confidence there. The student will feel comfortable enough to um, to ask questions that he or she might be afraid to ask in class, thinking they'll look stupid. And say, no, there's, at this stage in your life, there's no such thing as a stupid question. You ask whatever you want. If I'm explained something and you don't understand it, let me know, please. And I will do my best to explain it in another way. And I've been able to, b- been, to build some relationships there where, you know, students will be uh, feel comfortable enough to just share interesting anecdotes. Sometimes they might say, oh, here's something here's something interesting that happened. Uh, so. I, I, I really like that interaction there because it's essential to the core of the tutoring. And as a student, I mean, as a teacher, you can't build those with every single student. You can build some good relationships, but uh, that that building that element of of, of trust there, uh, I, I I really like that uh, because I know that that there's a student. There's no hidden things, I should say, where the student. Uh, acts a certain way in person, and then later I find out that they think I'm a terrible teacher, which has happened to some some teachers sometimes. They think they're doing a great job, and they found out later. No, this time it's honest. Everything's open and out there, and I can make adjustments and cater my teaching directly to that student because of that element of trust. Yeah, yeah, it's all really good stuff. I mean, yeah, just like building that rapport and being able to do that, and like I guess like more of like a like a deeper way or because I feel like it, yeah, it would be difficult if you have, you know, a huge class of students and you're just trying to kind of, um, you know, be limited and kind of fit through kind of the cookie cutter model. I think that like you were noting, we're like, okay, I have to teach in the way that like, you know, sort of the greater hierarchy of like a whole school system, you know, wants me to, I would hope that, uh, you know, 
teachers, you know, would be more able to teach in the way that they want to kind of thing. But uh, that I think that's uh, maybe becoming less and less so true in K through 12. But um, yeah, just like so much good stuff. I mean, yeah, just with what you're able to do and working with students, you know, one on one and uh, doing it both online and in person and, you know, kind of using, I guess, the best of both mm-hmm. worlds, you know, uh, as you can. Um, so no, like, yeah, just like why isn't as a platform is just really enabling and that yes. way, at least just like having people find you, but then also facilitating uh, sessions and yeah. stuff like that. It's so. enabled me to, uh, tutor students from all over the place as well. I've tutored students from Egypt, Spain, China, uh, Taiwan, India. So yeah. And Russia this past year, I, I got hooked up with an organization in, in New York city that, uh, helps Russian students and those who are trying to apply to uh, American universities. And so I've been, I've done a lot of online uh, tutoring with, with, with Russian students as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity there. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well then, I mean, I guess if, maybe if it's anything that is related to just continuing to improve your um, teaching and tutoring skills or just like personal fun stuff, I always like to ask just like, what are you geeking out about right now? If it's stuff, you know, stuff that you've always been into or stuff that you're discovering now, like what's capturing your attention right now? Yeah. And some of it is certainly things that definitely directly applicable to what I do. And other things, of course, is, you know, personal uh, fun, uh, sports statistics. Uh, I'm not into as many sports as what I was as a kid. In fact, as the years have gone by, my interest in certain sports has waned significantly. Uh, I have not watched, uh, a full baseball game since or baseball game actually at all since 2016 world series. I watched game seven when the Cubs won, but, uh, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to love baseball. I still like baseball statistics though. I just don't like watching the game of baseball for years when I used to apply to, to, to jobs and I would have to put, uh, you know, a resume or sometimes a resume together or sometimes just something on the application. I would always say that my my hobby was the accumulation, organization, memorization, and analysis of sports statistics. <laughs> Back in the pre-internet days, uh, I used to really be a, a stats accumulator. I remember my parents bought me a subscription to USA Today back in 1985 for a year. And so I, I used to save – every week they used to put out uh, the full sports statistics for the teams during during the different seasons. And so at the end of the year – I used to always save the baseball, football, and basketball statistics from the end of the year, and I would have them on file so I so I could refer to, refer to those. Uh, my parents used to get me a World Almanac every year. They bought me one when I was ten years old, and so I, I eventually discovered a lot of the other cool stuff in, in the Almanac. But I was always like looking in the looking in the sports section there, memorizing this. You know, I know the score of every Super Bowl and stuff like that. And so, and now with the internet era and with the with the with the launch of explosion of, of, of analytics, uh, analytics statistics in, in, in sports. Now there's like so much more to, to organ to, to, to analyze. And so I love the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a member of some discussion groups about the NBA. And so I enjoy the idea that, Hey, I can go on to basketball reference or go on to some other websites, find these statistics that years ago would be hard to find and, you know, come to an analysis of that. It, it pays off on a, from a teaching standpoint as well because, um, you know, the whole idea of just averages, percentages. Uh, last year I was tutoring – I still tutor this kid, but last year I was tutoring this uh, boy in math, fifth grade math, and he's a real uh, sports guy, especially football. And so we were talking about the idea of converting fractions to decimals and percents, and and so I decided this brought up uh, – straight up real statistics from football. And we talked about completion percentage. You know, we talked about these different things and how to calculate them and apply that, you know, directly there. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's always been, I, I've always, I've always enjoyed um, applying that there. Um, I'd say American history and what I call the discovery of the truth, meaning how the real, the reality or the full, the, the, the full breadth of the reality of American history is so much different from what I learned when I was growing up. And as I said, I graduated mm-hmm. in 1990. And so an eye-opening book for me was uh, back when I read uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen, where he analyzes 12 uh, 
U.S. history books, popular history books, and just goes through and compares them to what the truth is, meaning the, the, the primary sources that are out there. And you realize, I, I realized how incomplete some of my education was and also how some of it was just a flat-out lie, you know, like the idea that uh, uh, Columbus was, uh, like, trying to prove the Earth, Earth was round, <laughs> which is flat-out not true. And, <laughs> yeah, and so that really since i since i've read that book i've i've been kind of on a personal quest to make sure i know the truth about american history and so i've had a couple students that i've worked with as being their history teacher uh in a homeschool format so they're homeschool students the parents hire me to work with the student there and so you know during that i i try to bring out more than just the kind of traditional way way that it's presented there because uh too many textbooks still high school textbooks still still align themselves with that uh, i'm a very much a broad picture person so you know i want to know why things happen and sometimes get, coming to that conclusion is not, is not exactly easy or even possible but the idea of underlying reasons the the interlinking of concepts and and complexity of explanations there knowing that there's there's, you know, one of the things I've said to people is co complex problems have complex solutions. If someone is suggesting a simple solution to a complex problem, they're not they're not considering the the the, the entire uh, complexity of it there. So uh -huh. I'm I'm all I'm always uh, really in, in in into understanding that you know. So like for example, the whole uh, the whole way that the political parties are becoming increasingly polarized in the United States. Why is that happening? Why is it different? I saw a really great uh, Pew Research um, thing where it showed these results of these of these surveys that were given in 1994, uh, like 2004, 2014, something like that. But it was it was spaced out over about 25 years or so, and it was showing how the the average position in in the two parties this like the cent the average center position used to be so much closer back in the mid 90s than it is now and now it's much much farther apart why on earth is that well that's a broad question that requires a lot of things so you know i'm kind of like oh so that's why when i'm you know looking at uh, you know going through social media sometimes and i'll i'll see different uh articles you know newspapers online journals whatever I'll be like, oh, I think that'll give me a clue, more help, and I so I like I like I like assembling that entire knowledge there. Uh, personally, I'd say um, the one area that uh, I've always, in terms of entertainment, is I've always been a Star Trek person, and I'm not the kind of person who I would love to go to a convention someday. I never have, but I'm not the kind of person who who get you know dives falls headfirst into the stories and gets wrapped up with continuity or something like that. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy the stories behind it. And I love looking at it in the context of history of television in general. I'd say history of television itself is also something that's always intrigued me. But understanding, you know, what happened behind the scenes, understanding the actors, the decisions, the stuff like that. Yeah, the storylines are fun uh, as well. But, uh, and uh, my favorite series is Deep Space Nine. But I, 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 Definitely enjoy kind of the the entire ideas of Star Trek and, the, and and I've never been someone to isolate myself to just you know, oh well I'm a fan of this particular series and not and not any others and also looking at it within the context of uh, American history and uh, history in general and also the development of of technology it's always fascinating to me to read a story that says well let's look at the technology that was, exists in Star Trek and ask. Uh, has it been achieved already? Can it be achieved? You know, and which ones are absolutely impossible to ever achieve using using the science we currently have? Yeah, Star Trek is great. Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's just one of those like rich universes. Um, you know, like stuff like uh, obviously like Star Wars or like uh, Lord of the Rings or like Harry Potter. Just like that's what I love too. Yeah, just like it has a very firm sense of uh, its whole story and uh, like just a broader. Uh, sort of landscape and kind of uh, canvas that I can play and like tell all these different stories. Like I, 
watch like Star Trek Discovery recently, which is like, you know, the newest series and just like, it's just like a cool, another like exploration, classic Star Trek, but like, you know, they keep kind of just continuing to kind of adapt it to the times and everything. I want to, I want to watch that at some point. I will admit I've been stubborn because you got to pay for it on, on CSL. (laughs) However, I'm going to cave and pay for that when Picard comes out because, uh, I, he's John Luke Picard, my favorite character in Star Trek. So I want to see, I want to see Picard. So, and that's on the 23rd so i i, I will fork <laughs> fork over the money then <laughs> yeah yeah well that's even the thing too with like any of the now kind of the you know kind of all the splintering of all these like streaming services and stuff i'm just kind of like yeah like trying to game it that way i'm just like okay i'm gonna get it for like a month or two so i can like watch these shows and i'll cancel that yes. one and then i'll like hop over here you know um because yeah i feel like i'll be doing that with a couple of different things here uh over like 2020 but um yeah, so I, I could definitely recommend Star Trek Discovery, and I, I even like for me, it, I guess it's you know definitely a little bit more into Star Wars. So like I haven't like fully invested in all the Star Wars shows, but or the Star Trek shows, but um, yeah, I feel like I would hope that uh, you know folks would consider Discovery really in the the pantheon of all of them. I think it's uh, very good in its own right. So if you'll be in store for a treat there, and yeah, I'm very intrigued to see what they do with uh, Star Trek Picard too. So um, all all good stuff there. Well, I guess there, I mean, yeah, it's a good se- uh, kind of segue and transition here of like other stuff. If you want to kind of just give a particular tip of the hat uh, recommendation of like stuff that we can include in the show notes of other things that you are uh, reading, watching and or listening to. So, yeah, like books, movies, TV shows, podcasts, uh, anything that comes to mind or video games. I'm not sure if you're you're into those. Anything that's, uh, you know, kind of things in particular that you'd want to recommend. We can link out to those. I'd say the only video game that ever interested me in my whole life was Tetris. <laughs> And every mm-hmm. once in a while, I still do, uh, d- still do play Tetris, and that definitely appeals to the mathematical side of me. I, I know that um, you know when it comes to reading, I don't read books too often anymore, and that's not because they don't interest me. I, I find that as I get older, it needs to be uh, kind of something that really appeals <laughs> appeals to me. There are some that I, and I and there's there's definitely one that I want to read. A friend of mine uh, gave me the uh, Gene Roddenberry's autobiography or biography biography mm. but anyway uh i was like oh that's that that sounds interesting there i would i i, I said i love i love the background knowledge of these things and i know a little bit about gene roddenberry so i i have that book there um i said because there's such a broad picture thing um i know a really good book i read back in 2008 was called the narcissism epidemic uh about changes in the united states culture since the 70s that uh swing to a more self-centered me first kind of attitude and just talk about the causes, the, you know, how, how the landscape, uh, stuff like that. Um, right. You know, nowadays I, I definitely, I love to read, uh, articles about things that, that, that will, that will fascinate me. So, you know, if I'm on social media and of course a lot of the pages that I like, so I might see, you know, something, uh, written by the New York times. that's kind of a comprehensive report on something, you know, I want to see that or watching uh, frontline, um, on PBS, you know, those are, those are, those are things where they, they, they dive deep into topics there. Uh, articles about education, edutopia is a great, uh, website and a great source. And I just like reading those articles about, uh, kind of the philosophy of education. What are the trends in education? What's going on? What are some tips, things like that? Uh, and just, Articles about history in general, because I've always been fascinated with history and, and, and social science. Um, I don't watch a lot of uh, television other than uh, the NBA. <laughs> I, I will watch uh, old episodes of CSI. <laughs> I've always liked, mm-hmm. I've always, I've always liked uh, uh, just the concept of CSI. The, the city of Las Vegas has always intrigued me. I have not been there yet. It's one of my just number one on my uh, you know bucket list, so to speak. There. As far as podcasts go, uh, most of the stuff I listen to are sports related. Uh, I like Bill Simmons. Uh, one guy who's really smart is uh, Bomani Jones on on ESPN. He's got a podcast that comes out twice a week, and he you know delves into a little more than just than just sports. Uh, and he's, he's he's got great insight. For uh, just entertainment, I love the Dan Lebitard show with Stu Gatz on on the radio, and also they they release it in a podcast there so that that's a lot a lot of times uh, that's from 10 to 1 on mondays through fridays and so when i'm out and about 
going from tutoring session to tutoring session. That's a lot of times what I what I have on. Something that, uh, from a historical context, has been interesting is I've started to listen to a bunch of uh, podcasts about uh, the history of professional wrestling. And I'm not into professional wrestling anymore. I haven't watched it in years. But I watched it in the 80s and in the 90s. And uh, I just kind of stumbled across one called 83 Weeks uh, last year. Uh, and, I, and that led to, to learning about some others. And so I just find it really interesting to hear people who were uh, in the business, you know, at the highest levels, making the decisions about stuff like that and getting this knowledge of how they put it together, how these storylines are crafted, uh, in, in interesting things about uh, signing people to contracts and stuff like that. So just the, the, the nitty gritty details that I didn't even I had no idea about, you know, 20 some years ago and then hearing these people talk about it then. Like I like that. I like that broad, that broad insight there. That's always been something that that's just incredibly uh, fascinated me. And then uh, the 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 ESPN Thirty for Thirty documentaries are. I'm I'm a big documentary fan. So if I see different documentaries, I did not watch the Ken Burns one on uh, on country music. Although I think someday I might want to <laughs> might want to watch that. But and of course he does these mammoth ones and. They're usually they're usually quite rewarding. I did watch the entire one that he did on the national park system because I love national parks, and uh, so I watched that one and it was whoo fan. I, I I learned just so much from that. But yeah, documentaries are I, I I really love getting the knowledge and understanding what's what's lying underneath things. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you're going to mention like uh, uh yeah like ESPN like like sports documentaries and like the history of sports and because like, I'm just imagine like just kind of these crisscrossing yes. of. Uh, interest that happened yeah and like you're saying like the history of television like obviously like star trek being like huge part of that and all that kind of stuff yeah. something <laughs> that i absolutely have loved are the the decade series so there's two separate ones so cnn did decade series uh -huh. Uh -huh. they did one in the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s they did one on those those are were just fabulous and the national geographic did their did a series as well on the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, a whole separate one, kind of a different perspective, different angle, different take on it. There, uh, those were incredible. And and years ago, 15 some years ago, uh, VH1 did a series called "I Love the 80s," where they did an hour on each one of the 10 years in the 80s, and then they did another one called "I Love the 80s uh, 3D." And they did a, they did another one. Uh, so they actually did three separate series on the '80s. So it was 30 full hours, <laughs> of, and that was the that was the decade I grew up in. So I remember back then, you know, I was still using a, v, a VCR. I remember recording every single one of those on VHS tape, and used to <laughs> used to watch those there. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, I guess yeah, and like with wrestling, like in the '80s, it was just like you know, it was like the golden era. I feel like like the heyday of uh, you know wrestling and stuff. Which I, I like, I mean, they're still very active, but I feel like that was like like super peak with it, where it's like still people, you know, uh, like all these characters that they talk. Yeah, about there were now. two. There was there was the '80s when Hulk Hogan started becoming the superstar, and then in the mid '90s was probably the wildest one because there was there were two wrestling organizations ted turner was in control of wcw and then there was the wwf and though and for for about three or four years they were trying to outdo each other and so both of them mm -hmm. were putting up this quality product so yeah that that's probably the most interesting thing about the podcast is getting the insight into what was going on during what they used to call the monday night wars because that was when the two products were we're going head to head on Monday night and seeing who could get the who could get the better ratings. Yeah, and I feel like yeah, I mean we're just so spoiled now. I mean, just generally it was so much good like <laughs> content to watch and listen to and all that. But I feel like because like somebody had like, there was like a comedian that was making jokes about stuff of like you know oh you'll never guess what they made a documentary about nowadays and they're like yeah you like that joke wouldn't have worked like you know ten twenty years ago because now it's like yeah there's so much stuff because like yeah like the world and just history is very interesting so there's a lot of stories to be told and now like we're in a place where there's so many different platforms and you know just more tools to be able to tell these stories. So it's just like anything that you're interested in, there's probably like a dozen documentaries on it or like a, you know, limited series or whatever books, all that. Um, oh yeah. And then, yeah, what you were talking about with like sports statistics too, it made me think of it. Um, 
and then just kind of like all the things that you're mentioning of just like with ESPN and like and like Sports Center and any of these shows like and even when you're like watching you know live broadcast of any sort of sporting event they can always pull in these like extraneous <laughs> sort of correlations of like statistics and also just kind of say like yeah this basketball player like always hits threes from this corner of yes. the court but never hits them from yes. over here or is this much more likely to do this you know and just like always interesting when they can frame you know oh if this happens their team is like this much more likely to uh, win or lose or whatever you know like they can just you know pull all that information you know package it together whether they're reviewing or doing you know live broadcast yeah the running probability i i, I chuckle at it. it's 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 legitimate but it's kind of funny where like uh, if i go on my uh, espn app you know to check out the score of a game it always brings up a thing first called the game cast where it kind of gives a, a running play-by-play but then there's always a thing that says probability of winning and then there's like a graph which shows you shows you a running probability of winning for each team and so, like, depending on how you see the one team's probability goes up and then it goes down and it and so tells you at that stage in the game, at every stage in the game, what is the probability of one team winning <laughs> winning the game? Yeah. Well, I get, I'm sure not being really a, a you know, a sophisticated statistician myself, but, like, I'd have to imagine certain things were, like, drawing conclusions that aren't actually there like just in the whole cosmic sense of just sort of like you know the numbers game of it all it's just like oh well if this happens yeah like the probability of them winning or losing goes up or down it's it's like well i mean maybe i mean i don't know if it's like a huge pattern necessarily or enough to really say like well absolutely it's this you know this assured that that's going to happen but yeah it is a fun game because i guess it is we have the tools to be able to make a pretty good kind of estimation of these things and you know i think more often than not then you know they are uh sort of playing out and everything but um yeah i think it is something that really does like captures people's attention even if they're not obviously like super deep and like oh what's the methodology they're using or whatever it's just kind of like oh well that's interesting i'm just yeah like shooting percentages or you know uh, anything with sports and um i guess just pulling it back to a look at you were mentioning before in terms of you know kind of breaking down sort of um any kind of uh, stress or tension and anxiety people might have with like when you're teaching, it's just like all this stuff that you're interested in and things that you can like pull in, just kind of helping to like disarm people as they might be like really nervous to talk about math for an hour and like a tutoring session. You can be like, well, you know what? Let's use examples from, you know, football or mm-hmm. something and maybe that'll help kind of connect the dots and stuff like that. So I feel like it's just such a uh, great way that sort of your point of view and what you kind of consume and really are trying to think about. Um, obviously it's just like personally interested and entertaining for you, but like that you are not kind of putting a barrier um, up of any of that sort of knowledge or anything that any of the experiences that you have, you're bringing all of that in every day when you're having a tutoring session. So definitely, I mean, a lot of kudos for just like just great nerdy hobbies that I love, but also <laughs> like bringing that in in such a like genuine helpful way to, you know, really help people out too. So um, it's all, all really great stuff, but um yeah, we'll wrap up here on uh, the optimistic note that I like to <laughs> end things on um, of something or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life, and or the world. So any one or all of those categories, anything that you're looking forward to? Yeah, this, this is a this is a really fascinating question because, you know, being aware of of changes and trends, I'm like, what is the world, you know, going to look like 10 years from now? And oh. the, 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 the prediction like the phase of prediction is going to be too too difficult <laughs> in a certain sense there. But at the same time, there's like, oh, there are things that I am uh, indeed, you know, looking looking forward to there. Uh, I'd say that one of the things that I'm really fascinated about is kind of two things. One, what are going to be the big changes in education over, say, the next 30 years. Now, you know, that'll put me into my 70s. You know, who knows what I'll be doing by then. But I'm saying I, I, I look at that and I think of what are what are these trends? We, I know that from following education, I know that uh, there's really starting to get some be some pushback and demonstrations and speaking up by teachers in different states who are underpaid and overworked and the whole uh, dumping more and more responsibility on them, but yet, but yet schools are like, I mean, states are cutting funding. So what are going to be the trends? Uh, I know that I've seen 
I have a certain there's a certain group of people I know who are, uh, you know, homeschooling kids, and some obviously it takes money, but some you know will hire uh, <clears throat> you know tutors to work with them, and and wondering what you know are more will, will more parents take control of that of that education there, uh, tutoring itself has been uh, an occupation that has that has that has exploded. Um, Wyzant does some blog posts from time to time, and uh, the CEO wrote, wrote one a few months ago, just kind of talking about the difference in trends that I, that they've seen in their organization since it started, and how like one of the things they mentioned was that at oh, last year over eighty percent of the tutoring sessions logged on Wyzant were online sessions, and certainly I've seen that progression in my lifetime, and I'm kind of like. From my from my own standpoint, I'm like, okay, that'd be great if that <laughs> trend continues there, where more uh, people kind of taking control of their own education, maybe more online courses, ones where I can uh, help students online. There, uh, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how 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 that how that plays out there, and I'm looking forward to that. Something that I struck me that has really been something on my mind recently is. I'm sort of convinced that within the next 30 years, maybe, we are going to see a significant reshuffling or restructuring of the political parties. And I think we're going to see something similar to what happened maybe even in the, the first half of the, of the 19th century, when initially it was... Uh, you know, the Democratic Republicans and the Federalists, and then the Federalists dissolved, and then the Democratic Republicans fractured, and then we had the Democrats and the Whigs for about 20-some years, and then the Whigs sort of fell off, and then uh, the Republican Party came about. And, and so, but even more so, I think, you know, you think of the maybe 1940 to 1980 when basically they, they, the parties kept the same names, but there was a, a reshuffling and a realignment where uh, those who were, you know, Southern Democrats would eventually become Republicans, and some of the more progressive Republicans would become Democrats, and and there was this this realignment here. And I don't know if it's going to mean that you know a whole new political party comes about, but I look, I, I'm looking at that. And I'm saying I don't, I feel that the 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 entrenched polarization that exists today, I'm like it can't last forever. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking like it's got a shelf life, and so. I'm thinking uh -huh. that something in the next 30 years is going to happen where maybe one of the political parties has a has a radical split and it maybe it forms a maybe a new party forms and the old one falls away or maybe there's just going to be kind of a a a a, a realignment there. I know that with people that I'm associated with, I I I keep meeting increasingly more people that say you know, we'll say like, oh, I'm an, I'm an independent or, or, or I'm, you know, in the middle or, or things like that, uh, and not, and not, not affiliate themselves specifically with a party. And so when I look at trends, like one of the things I was talking to a student of mine, uh, the, the, the one history student I worked with for two years, we were looking at, you know, hit election results and it hasn't, and since, since 1988, we have not had a, a president win an election to clear 400 electoral votes. George H.W. Bush did it in 1988. It hasn't happened since. The elections have been closer. And you look at back at, say, like Reagan's second election or when, uh, or when Nixon won in 1972 when he was reelected or back when uh, I think it was Roosevelt's third term, they, they cleared 500 electoral votes. Like they were mm -hmm. popular enough that people from the other party were saying like, oh, yeah, this guy is doing a great job. I'm going to vote for him. You can't imagine that happening today. Like, that's just unfathomable <laughs> that someone could be that popular that, that, that people were, from the other party would be like, oh, let's come over. It's, it's, it seems to be so, so entrenched there. And, but I know from, from being on social media and talking with people that there is a, a, a group that is kind of like, you know, a, a, an election comes along and they're kind of like, well, I'm not voting along party lines or I'm, I don't believe in all the concepts for this party. So I'm really, you know, when I, when I, when I think of looking forward to stuff, I think of looking forward to things that fascinate me, I guess is kind of how, how I, how I look at there. I mean, I was even thinking of uh, something involving sports recently is that, 
I'm wondering if the next uh, 10 to 20 years, 10 years maybe, is going to see a significant change in how uh, football approaches the position of quarterback and whether it's going to keep looking at it in the same way of of this person who has control of the ball, who drops back to pass, things like that, or a team's going to uh, make it a little more flexible or even get a little little, little innovative and, and have you know maybe multiple players on the field at a time who are able to throw the ball uh, mm. and really, really mix things up more. You know, I was, I was watching Taysom Hill from the Saints and how, you know, he's a trained quarterback, but he goes out there, he plays some running back, he plays some wide receiver, occasionally he throws passes. Like, what if you had, you know, two or three guys on the field who were that versatile and think of how you could switch things up? I'm, I'm saying, hmm, that would be, that'd be kind of fun to see if that would be an innovation that, 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 that could play, take place. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, at this stage of my life, I'm always trying to look at the trends and see, uh, well, what's going to happen down the road. Hey, I'm not, I'm not Nostradamus though. Of course, he wasn't perfect either, but I'm saying I, <laughs> I, I look at uh, the future there and, and I wonder, uh, you know, what's, what's going to happen predicting things and, 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 uh, sometimes things come out, uh, you know, a lot different than what, than, than what you're expected. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that kind of is like tethering a lot of the sort of looking forward uh, to a lot of what we talked about in terms of education. And I mean, I work remotely. I work in sort of the online education space for higher ed and just seeing like day to day, just more, you know, kind of expansion of that, which just allows more people to get the high quality uh, digital education, you know, wherever you are, wherever they are, like you did. And then, you know, just with things like, um, you know, with the sports, it's just like, yeah, like getting away from just like the limiting idea of what a quarterback is and like just, you know, that would just be, I think, yeah, more interesting for the game. And um, in terms of just like, yeah, like American political life, just hoping that like this very furious boiling that's been happening <laughs> in division and all that, like, it's like, yeah, just hopefully that settles down so that we can like, you know, uh, get to being uh, yeah, a place where it just doesn't feel so... Like, like there's so much friction all yes, the time and it's hard word. to like get things done. Um, so, um, yeah, it'll be yeah interesting to see. Um, cause yeah, it's just like, you know, I just turned 30. So like it, you, you, you kept kind of using that like benchmark <laughs> where it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's been like my whole life, but I mean, I'll probably be around for another 30 years. So yeah, who knows what'll happen, but like feeling like, yeah, so much has happened in the past 30 years. Like, I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. yeah. like what's, uh, you know, 30 years from now going to look like. So uh, and I guess also very appropriate as we start a new decade and all that, you know, just kind of thinking in those ways and uh, what can be and what will be. But, um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you uh, so much for jumping on here and sharing all that you did. And um, we'll have ways to uh, uh, connect with you and all that you talked about down in the show notes for the episode. But, um, yeah, just thanks. Thanks so much for your time and uh, for uh, hanging out for a little right, bit here. Well, thank you for inviting me. This podcast is part of the Connect EDU Podcast Network, bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community. Check us out on Twitter at ConnectEDUPod or at ConnectEDU.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.